The Bible really from its beginning to its end is one grand announcement. God wants to be with you. God loves you. God wants relationship with you. The Bible starts out of nothing. God made everything, and the, and the everything God made included you. The very first moment of man's existence, God forms the man out of the dust of the ground and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, proximity, nearness. God wants to know you. And even after the terrible tragedy of the fall, when everything went haywire, God shows up and God says, where are you? He wants to know you. And, then, and that's the beginning of the Bible, the end of the Bible. It's an image of God with His people. St. John says, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He wants to know you. And everything from beginning to end, all the pages between the prophets and the priests and the kings and the best expression of God's heart, Jesus Christ Himself, it's all an announcement. God wants to know you, be with you, draw near the Christian story and the Christian faith, its consequences and implications on our lives have no boundaries. But whatever else it also means, it must necessarily include this announcement, God wants to know you. So whatever else you hear today, and you're going to hear a parable from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, of all about a bride, ten bridesmaids and a bridegroom, all the stuff you're going to hear, I don't want you to miss this. He wants to know you. So if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, if, if, you're not, if you're sort of not sure about God, consider this. God wants to be with you. God wants to draw near. God wants to know you. Jesus tells five stories. This is the fourth Sunday of the season of Lent, by the way, our big idea. Not what I want. That's the prayer Jesus prayed in the garden the night they took his life. Not what I want but what you want. He didn't want Judas' betrayal and Peter's denial and Pilate's interrogation and Rome's cross. Not what I want, but what you want. It's a prayer of faith that despite the presenting circumstances, God's unfolding a, a redemption drama in the world. So not what I want. Jesus tells five stories the last week of his life on his way to that prayer. This is the fourth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil. And as the bridegroom was delayed... All of them became drowsy and slept. At midnight, there, there came a shout, Look, the bridegroom is here. Come out to meet him. And they, and they woke up and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. And the wise said to the foolish, No, there won't be enough for you and for us. You had better go find a dealer and buy some for yourself. So they went to buy, and the bridegroom came and took those who were ready with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came and said, Lord, 
Lord, open to us. And he said, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. These parables are starting to get to me. Uh, One New Testament scholar says of the parables, they're like earthquakes that open the ground at our feet. Somebody's shaking, somebody's trembling. This parable is an earthquake. What do you do with this story? Those five bridesmaids, they, they knock on that big door, Lord, Lord, open to us. The door is shut. What? What kind of good news gospel is this? And how does it line up with St. John's Revelation where he sees the holy city and he and there is no night there. What is going on here? The doors were shut. And notice, please, all of the bridesmaids fell asleep. All of them became drowsy and slept. Both foolish and wise, they all fell asleep. But apparently the moral of the story is keep awake. But they all slept. So why just keep What's going on? And what's up with the wise bridesmaids? Not sharing. That's like the first lesson we teach our kids. No, no, you, you, there won't be enough for you and for us. Is this some sort of fend-for-yourself gospel? The, the, there are limited resources, so a gospel mentality is one of scarcity? What's going on? So many questions. Maybe you should get off your couch and come preach this sermon for me, because all I got is questions. So let's stick with the questions. Where's the bride? Who's the groom? And what does that have to do with you, anyway? Where's the bride? That seems like a good question. The parable starts, then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. There's ten bridesmaids. There's a bridegroom. They're off to a wedding banquet. This is a wedding story, but there's no bride. There's no mention of the bride. A colossal absence for a wedding day. Where's the bride? I have to be careful. I, need, I should check myself. It's, it's complicated asking literal questions to a figurative story. But it still seems like a legitimate question. Where's the bride? The metaphor of marriage was very prevalent in their minds as a way of seeing God's relationship with God's people the ones he made, the ones he loved. God wants to be with his people. God wants to know them, be in relationship with them. The, 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 uh, think about the prophecy of Hosea. It's about a marriage relationship. The whole thing, the entire book is about a marriage relationship depicting God's relationship with God's people. Or how about the Song of Songs, that erotic love story in the middle of the Bible that you love to read. It's, it's depicting God's relationship with God's people as a love story in the book of Revelation. And its very end likens the, the final reality of eternity to be like a wedding banquet for the Lamb. And here, these parables, so many of them are about a wedding banquet. They're Prevalent in their mind was this operative metaphor, God's relationship with God's people is like a marriage. So they would hear this and know exactly who the bride was. The bride was God's people, the ones he made, the ones he loved. And by faith in Christ, Christ 
who was born of the virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and on the third day rose from the dead by faith in Christ, you're incorporated in the bride. You become the bride. Where's the bride? You are the bride. You and your lazy boy, you on your couch, you and your car, you're the bride, which ought to put a little skip in your step and a little adrenaline in your veins. Think about that. The God who made the world wants to be with you. The God who winked and mountains formed and rivers started running and oceans started tiding wants to know you. The God who winked and the great lakes formed their glorious unsalted reality making the mitten we love loves you. Think about that. But here's where it gets interesting. It's not just you. It's not you singular, you personal, you in your chair or in your car. It's you as a part of us. You are incorporated in the bride. And too often and too quickly, we we reduce the life of faith to my needs, my wants, my feelings, my desires, when on the contrary, our participation is meant for the flourishing of the bride. Not just you in a pew on Ninth and College and a church on a corner, and not just the Reformed Church or the Christian Reformed Church, but all Christians in all times and all places that have spanned the globe and traversed history, the bride. And our participation is not to reduce the bride to our desires, but to lift us up for the flourishing of the bride into what God had always intended it to be, the bride. I was in a conversation with a a psychologist and a therapist, they were married, if you can only imagine the dinner conversations they have. We were talking about relationships. Uh, they, they were suggesting that we tend to think about relationships in two parts. There's a you and there's a me. And I'm going to do my best to love you well and you're going to do your best to love me well and we're going to kind of meet in the middle and we're not exactly on the same page and I'll, I'll give a few here and you'll give a few here and we call it compromise and it all sounds so nice and sweet. The problem they were suggesting, though, when you get into that sort of two-part relationship, you end up counting. You kind of have to keep score. Well, you, you, you only went that far, but I went this far, or I did last time, so you have to this time. They were suggesting, rather than thinking about relationships in two parts, what if we thought about relationships in at least three parts? So there's a you and there's a me, but then there's an us. And our participation in the relationship is not just about satisfying each other, but rather us serving the us, us participating so the us would flourish. Is that a fair way to think about our participation in the life of the bride, the church? Not just satisfying my needs and your wants, but rather us participating in what God had always intended the bride to be. The bride, people from every language and tribe and nation all gathered around the throne. The bride that pursues justice and righteousness and holiness in life and in the world. The bride. We participate in what God intended it to be. Uh, here's a, I was sent an article by a friend, an interview between David Brooks, New York Times columnist, and Luke Bretherton, a Duke theologian. It was about Christian humanism, which... Sounds kind of like a dirty word to me, but the article's fascinating. In it, Brotherton writes or says, I can't truly understand what it means to be human without receiving the gift of who you are, but it's in the name and service of forming a shared life, forming a common life together through which all may flourish. 
It's not you flourishing in your enclave and me flourishing in my enclave. We can only truly flourish when we each contribute our gifts, when we are each mutually responsible for and in fellowship with each other. He's talking about an us, you and me participating in a common flourishing. Where's the bride seems like a legitimate question to ask, and the answer is right here. You are loved by the living God. He wants to be with you, but not just you, us, the bride, and we participate in what it was meant to be. Here's another question for you. Who's the groom? Again, this marriage metaphor was so prevalent in their minds, they knew exactly who the groom was. The groom was the Messiah. The Messiah who was to come and restore God's people to their rightful place in the universe. The Messiah who was to come, who's going to restore God's people into right relationship with God, back to intimacy, back to relationship. God wants to know you, those garden strolls at the time of the evening breeze. The Messiah was to come and the bridegroom is the one. This bridesmaid, bridegroom story is a story about a Messiah who they were longing for, looking for, waiting for, hoping for, who would come to usher in the kingdom where peace rules and justice reigns and grace is the economy and mercy is the fruit on the trees, the kingdom, where you don't have to look behind you in fear or run for your life or participate in some arms race to destroy another, but rather lay down your arms only to be picked up in the arms of the one who loves you. The kingdom, the Messiah, the groom is ushering in the kingdom. What makes these stories so provocative, they were announcing the reality that the people were longing for. Things weren't right. They wanted the Messiah to come. Things weren't well. They weren't the way they're supposed to be. Does anybody know what that's like? And the Messiah is the one who's going to come and make it right. Where these stories get dangerous, at least for Jesus. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the bridegroom. I'm the one ushering in the new kingdom, the new way, the better day. But they were looking for someone else. Jesus is saying, I'm the one who's going to restore the fortunes of God's people. I'm the one who's going to raise the poor from the dust and lift the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. I'm the one who's going to give the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. And all God's people are supposed to bow their heads and bend their knees and say, praise the Lord. But instead, they gather and shout, crucify him. Because the Messiah wasn't coming the way they are expecting the Messiah to come. The Messiah wasn't doing what they were expecting the Messiah to do. So one betrayed him and another denied him and they arrested him and they beat him and they laughed at him and they spit on him and they hung him in the world's backyard, a taunt to anyone who would walk by. They were looking for a different kind of Messiah. They didn't want a Messiah who would hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They wanted a Messiah who would come down from that cross in crushing judgment. They didn't want a Messiah was going to say, love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. They wanted the Messiah who would hurt their enemies. They didn't, want to, they didn't want the kind of Messiah Jesus was announcing. And the question is for us now, what kind of Messiah are we looking for? One that will affirm all of our prejudices and condone all of our behaviors? 
or the one who announces the new kingdom. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the hungry. Not eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but give to those who ask. And don't refuse one who wants to borrow the kingdom. Who's the bridegroom? It's the Messiah. Jesus is the one. Where's the bride? Who's the bridegroom? And what does that have to do with you anyway? You, you just trying to provide for your family. You getting to work. Maybe, maybe a little extra for spring break. Maybe some generosity to a few chosen charities. All the while, the economic engines of the world are turned upside down by a bank in Silicon Valley. You, you just trying to get your kids to school on time, hoping the school doesn't call you anytime that day. 494-2200, I get called every day. You, you just trying to make it through a day. A day when a Russian jet collides with a U.S. drone and we're going to argue about who's at fault. A Chinese balloon floats over Missouri and we're wondering, what does that mean for the world? When we're still trying to figure out, was it a leak in Wuhan that started that pandemic we don't want to talk about? as if somehow the information is going to save our lives. You, what does this have to do with you, this ten bridesmaids and bridegroom story? There's ten bridesmaids, five of them are wise, five of them are foolish. So many questions about this story. I mean, why didn't the bridesmaids share? It seems like they could have found a way to make it work for everybody. Those five foolish bridesmaids, they knock on that big old door. Lord, Lord, open to us. And he says, I don't know you. And then the moral of the story is keep awake, therefore. Keep awake is the idea. I uh, went to bed Tuesday night feeling pretty good, slept well. 2 a.m., it was like someone turned on the lights of a football stadium. I was wide awake, no matter how hard I tried. Roll over, close your eyes, don't look at the clock. By 3.15, I was up and at him and figured I might as well just write a sermon. So I wrote those sermons. Probably explains a few things to you about the sermon itself. And I get to the end, I'm asking these questions, you know, where's the bride and who's the groom? And I get to the end, keep awake. And I'm like, that's right, Jesus, me and you right now, right here. He, of course, doesn't have my pastoral insomnia in mind, but rather each of us, all of us, the bride, the people of God, with our eyes wide open, waiting for the kingdom to come, waiting for Christ to come again. The whole thing is about a God who wants to know you and be with you. And until that great day when he comes again, he wants us to pursue him now. So if you, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, if, if, you're, if you've listened this far but wouldn't, wouldn't say you've got questions about God, hear it now, hear it here. He wants to know you. That's the whole story. He wants to be with you. And if you are a Christian, the question we have to contend with, are we looking for the Messiah announced in Jesus are we looking for one who's going to condone all of our instincts, do all the things we wanted to do anyway? Those five bridesmaids, they show up, and he says, I don't know you. This is a story. It's a parable. There aren't actually ten bridesmaids. The story is meant for us to ask the question, do you want to know him? Do you want to know the one who says, deny yourself? When was the last time you did that? Take up your cross. How does that sound? 
and follow me? Do you want to know the one who says, look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others? Do you want to know the one who says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The question is, do you want to know him? The whole story from beginning to end and every page in between is his desire to be with you, to know you, because he loves you. What we have to deal with now, do you want to know him? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. If you believe Jesus is Lord and acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome at this table in this virtual way. Maybe you've got bread and wine, crackers and juice. If you're not at that place in life or faith, I invite you to consider the question, do you want to know him? And if you'd be willing to sit with me over tea, coffee, take a walk, I'd love to hear your questions. I'd love to hear some of your story, maybe share some of mine. You can find me, J-O-N, at PillarChurch.com. He wants to know you. He wants to be with you. That's the whole story. Do you want to know him?